Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, Ambassador of 805 Connect and your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. Our show is sponsored by Pull String Press. Thanks to Patrick for partnering with 805 Connect and providing this great studio for these podcasts. Welcome, Patrick. Hi, Mark. Nice to see you. The 805 Connect Project is supported by partners and sponsors throughout the region. We want to thank them as well. You can find out more information about our partners at 805connect.com. Click on the partner button. Well, today's guest, guest, see, there you go. You did great. It's fine. Nobody will notice. Today's guest is Seth Streeter from Mission Wealth Management. Welcome, Seth. Good morning. Great how, to be here. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful. Yeah, it's a beautiful, I mean, I, I walked outside and got a little bit of the beautiful blue of Santa Barbara. I think we're getting ready for uh, people, we don't know when they're going to listen to this, but it is the day before the summer solstice, the famous parade here in Santa Barbara. Does Mission Wealth do anything with summer solstice? Well, we have a lot of our team members who are going to be down at the parade celebrating. Our office is pretty close to State Street. Uh, I know that a number of people are planning to go to the beach as well. And aside from the big parade festivities, I just love the fact that it's the longest day of the year. So, you know, we have to be outside and enjoy that sun. There you go. I'm, that's what I'm planning on doing. Well, here at 805 Conversations, what we like to do is we're talking to one person, that one person who's listening to us right now. They might be working, walking the dog, cooking, doing something, and we want to give them some inspiration and tell them some stories. And I really want to hear about your story. We've known each other for... I don't know, probably 10 years or something now, and, and you do a lot of amazing things, which we're going to spend our time talking about. Today, uh, I'm really interested in one word, so I'm going to keep coming back to that one word. That one word is mastery. Hmm. So when I say mastery, what's the first thing you think of? When I think of mastery, I think of someone finding their gift and expanding it in whatever form that might be. How does someone find their gift? Well, you know, through life, I think we go through all sorts of, uh, you know, trials and tribulations, uh, kind of trying to find it. Uh, one actually finds it when I think they stop looking outside and they start to tap inside, and they realize those, those interests, uh, those, those uh, gifts that they have that just come really easily to them, the thing that others have always go gone to you for, for help, that you say, sure, I can do that. Um, that's the gift, and that's where we find mastery, doing what we do best, and what actually lights us up. The thing that we love to do is typically the thing we're greatest at. How, wh so what's your gift? I loved con connecting with people, and I like helping them, finding out what, what their special talents are, and then helping them expand those talents. So my gift is really identifying talent and helping to nudge people forward to express it more fully into the world. So that's interesting so your gift is being able to see other people's gift whether they could see it or not yes and then to connect them in a way that's going to help them fully express it so give me an example of that tell me a, a story of someone that was maybe unaware of a gift they had that you were aware of hmm. and you called that into being oh great question well I can think of one that was actually a work context. Uh, I was hired by a corporate attorney a number of years ago uh, to help he and his wife uh, master a financial plan uh, that would allow them to retire in five years. And so I drove down to their home in Agora. It was a big home. They had the fancy car out front. And, 
as I showed up and met the couple, they had their tax return and their portfolio statements on the table, and they said, what do I have to do to be done in five years? That was kind of his greeting to me. I said, well, hi, I'm Seth. I can hear some character in that, too. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, I I sat down and put my, you know, left brain thinking cap on, and after about 10 minutes of trying to talk about portfolio optimization and retirement projections, it was just clear to me that this attorney was miserable in his career. And so rather than staying on that path that they had hired me to to focus on, I stopped and I said, Bob, what is your passion? Because it sounds like you absolutely are miserable in your career as a corporate attorney. And he said, what do you mean, what's my passion? And his wife, who had been sitting there pretty quietly, she said, well, well, I can tell you his passion. So Uh, I focused on her as, you know, wonderful spouses are. They're insightful. And so what's Bob's passion? She said, well, he loves history. He reads autobiographies. He watches the History Channel. He just loves history. He goes, I do love history, but how's that going to help us retire in five years? I said, well, let's just kind of shift the conversation here. Instead of you focusing on grinding through another five years of being on jets all the time and being stressed out, what if we could shift the conversation to you becoming a high school history teacher? Oh, my Sounds gosh. Sounds like you have a passion for, you know, for, for history and for teaching and sharing your knowledge. And that thus began a conversation that actually ended up in them, uh, you know, thinking about downsizing their home, taking their kids out of private school, but having him be able to do what he loves to do, which is he became a high school history teacher. And how long ago was this? That was probably seven years ago. It's been a while. So he's a high school teacher in Agora. He's a high school history teacher. Uh, His wife's passion, by the way, was to travel. So he never wanted to travel before because he was on planes all the time. And so now they travel as a family during the summers. He gets to teach. He has no need to have a five-year retirement plan because he's doing what he loves. He, he connected to his gift. He's expressing himself more fully. And that was just a way that I was able to be present with him. And instead of focusing on the task at hand, I was able to identify kind of a need beneath the need and help him make a radical shift in their lives. That's, that's a great story. And I'm, I'm thinking of the person who's listening to us right now and they're either a business person, they're either in a business working, or they're running a business, or they think they've got a better idea than the boss and that they could run the business a little bit differently. So how does someone, if you don't have a Seth in your life, how do you, what are, give me a a simple question I might ask myself to figure out what my gift is. Hmm. Well, I think it's important to just, first of all, pause you know, in life, we're so busy and we get caught up in the routines of our life that, you know, we go to work, we pick up the kids, you know, we watch this show on Tuesdays, we go to the gym on Wednesdays. And before you know it, weeks turn to months, turn to years, and we never stop and reflect. So I'd say this first step is just to give ourselves permission to pause and really say, what do I love to do? You know, if, if I had five years left to live, how would I want to spend that time? And am I currently spending my time that way? Because when you find kind of what your passions are and kind of what you're called to, to you know, lean into, then you'll identify your gifts within that question. So I would just say give yourself permission to pause, maybe with your spouse, a close friend, uh, could be a coworker, and you know, get out of the office, get out of the routine, take a walk on the beach, take a hike, and really ask yourself some questions. And I love to journal, so I love to just take a piece of paper or a notebook with me and just really ask some key questions and say, how do I want to live my life and am I currently living it that way? So two questions from that. One, do you have a 10-year plan for your life? Not anymore. Not anymore? Not anymore. I used to have you know, plans amongst plans amongst plans, and 
you know, I uh, went through a divorce, uh, you know, had a lot of things happen that made me realize that even the best laid plans can uh, really shift left or right. And so my plan is to live fully uh, and authentically as Seth. And of course I have goals. I mean, my, my company tagline is your goals are mission. So I'm a big goal guy, uh, you know, as far as financial goals, goals for my kids, uh, places I want to travel, uh, new, uh, you know, interests I want to experience. But it's not like a 10-year timeline where it's really framed in that way. Uh, if I can live each day authentically and each day according to kind of my values and what lights me up, then I'll be on the right 10-year plan. So now I just came up with a, another couple of things, but I want to get back to this concept of reflection. Uh, it's Some call it stillness. Mm -hmm. I've... Uh, recently last year learned how to meditate for the first time in my life nice and there are people that i really respect that i listen to uh podcaster i love he's not a podcaster just a smart guy tim ferris mm -hmm. uh the tim ferris experiment did the four-hour work week and yes. for me the four-hour chef and he has he meditates and talks to, he says every really successful business person that he's encountered has a meditation practice so without us feeling our California is showing, <laughs> what's the important, do you, do you meditate or do you have that kind of practice, that stillness practice? I do meditate, uh, not as consistently as I would like to, but I definitely have experienced meditation over the past 10 years and, and have a practice with it. Uh, but even more than that, I practice mindfulness in my everyday. So when I'm with my children, you know, I try to respond rather than react. I try to teach them that as well. Uh, when I'm with uh, coworkers, rather than just kind of react with my brain power, I try to stop, pause, and kind of feel an answer, kind of tapping into a, a inner guidance system, if you will. Am I leaning into that? Am I not leaning into that? And so by practicing mindfulness uh, in all aspects of my life, I feel like my life is more of just kind of a, a walking meditation. I mean, it's, it's, it's an act of presence. We play a game at 805 Conversations called buzzword bingo and in the conversations we have with people there's a language that they have that's very familiar you you put that language on and it just it's comfortable and it's like that shirt your favorite shirt and you've used a couple of words that I'm not sure our, our listener knows and one and and so you'll hear me go bingo and then I'll and it might stop that's okay and I look to you to respond what does lean into mean to you? You've said it four times now. Hmm. So by lean into, it's really a physical response. So rather than mentally, yes, that seems to make sense for my left brain. I'm, I'm factoring in all these different criteria. And yes, that's, that's very logical, rational response. It's, is this aligned with me? Am I excited about this? And the physical body will tell you a lot more than your thinking mind. Uh, in a lot of aspects of your life. So when I say lean into, I'm really referring to, uh, you know, tapping into something beyond our mental response and more about kind of our inner knowing. So is that a physical feeling? I mean, you've said physical feeling. And mm -hmm. so if there's a, I know one of the things I, I'll do is I, um, I just stop. I take a big breath and I soft knees and I feel the earth. So is it something like that? Yes. Yeah. It's just allowing. It's allowing kind of uh, the information out there 
to kind of fully pulse through you to then have you arrive at a decision. And sometimes there's outside validators that are happening all the time that we are kind of blind to. So by giving yourself that space and that presence, the soft knees, the breath, you know, whatever that looks like for you, you can actually tap into a lot of outside validation or sometimes, you know, roadblocks or, you know, warning signs that uh, if we're just head down, focused on the task at hand, we might completely miss. Uh, as you know, I study improv uh, just for the last seven months. That's one of the passions uh, that I have, the, an interest I'm uh, exploring late. Um, I wish I'd done it earlier. I'm so glad I'm doing it now. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a word there is about being present. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're talking about. It's And the, you said earlier also, you want to respond versus react to what's the difference to you? And I, you explained a little bit, but I, I'd like to hear a little bit more about sure. that. Well, being reactionary is an emotional response. It's one that is tapping into, you know, the, amyg the amygdala is firing and we're just shooting back a emotional response based on a circumstance. Being uh, responsible, I call it response-able. Oh. We are then oh. choosing to respond in a way that'll be in alignment with our ultimate goal. When we react, oftentimes it's not in alignment with our ultimate goal. It in fact usually pushes us in the exact opposite direction we really care about a, a child and we want to show that love to them is barking at them because they did something to annoy you going to really show that care well no so how can i be response able to give a re, you know give a, a response to whatever the circumstance was that's going to be in alignment with my ultimate goals with that person or with that situation which is how you were with bob and his wife exactly and, and, and I just want to touch on that because I think so many different professionals, you could be an architect, you could be an attorney, you could be an accountant, you could be a financial advisor. We have such a privileged seat because we're meeting with clients in a, in a very intimate, safe place where they're being vulnerable. They're opening up about their you know, fears, their hopes, their family dynamics. And if we just stay at a surface level, then we are really missing the potential to tap into that kind of deeper opportunity. And so by being very present with someone and tapping into the need beneath the need, we can then be true catalysts for these clients that we're working with. So instead of just focusing on the architectural plans or the trust document or the portfolio, let's at a human level tap into all the different cues that they're giving us and really see what they're, what they're asking for, what they need and what they perhaps just need permission for to be you know, nudged forward with. So that skill of being able to assess the need beneath the need or the gift that's hidden in plain sight, for some reason just made me think about my high school English class when Ernest Hemingway is not writing about a guy in a boat. It, yeah, the story's about it, the old man at sea, mm -hmm. right? It, there's, but it's, that's not the story. And for me, it was really hard because I didn't understand what nuance meant. And I didn't understand how to listen and look below the level. So how do you, at Mission Wealth, you're the, the leader there, how do you train the people that work with you 
to be like that? Because that's a pretty evolved way of thinking about that client relationship. Right. Well, first of all, actions speak louder than words. So I truly believe in leading by example. And so that's not just with the client, you know, as they sit down meetings, but it's also in how we interact with each other. So uh, we, we practice something that's uh, kind of, uh, there's different words for it, but it might be called a clearing or, or empathetic listening, where when I connect with a coworker, I try to be very present with them. I try to just say, you know, not just, how are you? Good. Oh, hey, anyway, did you get that report done? It's like, how are you? And you, you look at them. You give them, you give them your presence. And then whatever they share, you, you, re- you respond to, and you go, wow, that, that sounded like a tough morning. Or, wow, that must have been exciting to see your daughter brush her teeth by herself for the first time. Or, you know, whatever the experience is with them, show them that, you know, listening is the highest form of loving. So by being truly present with team members, with vendors, with clients, uh, you know, even with competitors, it's, it's a whole different, it, create, it, it creates a shift. And in that shift, uh, people then get a taste for what it's like to have deeper connection, and then they want to go about and do the same thing themselves. Do you notice a change? So someone comes in, they want to work with you, and they go through the interview process, and they start to pick this up, but they find they're working in a different place because most businesses aren't like that. It's let, let's get it done, let's you know, eye on the prize, you mm-hmm. know, all of that. How... Give me an example of how someone came in and was has been profoundly affected by that modeled behavior. Well, it happens, you know, with clients all the time. So they come in thinking they're focusing on one thing. I need to get eight percent, not six percent, or I need to, you know, retire. I, I've just went gone through a divorce, and I need to have support to kind of build my life again. So they're focused on the financial components. And when, you know, myself and my team members are able to kind of help them reflect on what really matters most, they shift their story away from one of scarcity, uh, one of, you know, fear, one of, or perhaps of greed, to one of kind of appreciation for what is, and one of sufficiency, one of valuing the gifts they do have, their health, their family, you know, whatever assets they do have, loving their career, living in Santa Barbara. Uh, so I would say there's just a lot of different ways that we help people kind of shift what is value to them because people get so caught up in thinking that wealth equals money. And when you look at all the other categories of wealth, which you know, we might touch on later, uh, they can just get a renewed perspective and a renewed sense of appreciation. Let's talk about wealth. People that are listening to this conversation as I said, they're either in business, they run a business, they'd like to run a business, they would like to be successful. Um, this is not an inexpensive part of the world to live in, and you need to figure out how you're going to make ends meet. So you and I have talked about wealth uh, over the years, and recently uh, you've come into a, a description of a more holistic view of wealth. Why don't you tell us about that? Sure. So a year and a half ago, I was part of a workshop uh, on conscious capitalism uh, with the founder of, of Whole Foods. And, uh, you know, the, the conscious capitalism movement is really about ways in which uh, we can, as companies, as corporate leaders, uh, have kind of a tri- triple, even quadruple bottom line. So it's not just about profit to the stakeholders, but it's about value to the team members, to the customers, 
to the vendors, to the communities you serve. So it's a win-win-win paradigm. And what's great about this shift is before that was considered just kind of woo-woo and you know the, the people in finance just said, well, those companies are not making money, so who would want to invest in them? Now there's a lot of studies that are showing that these more conscious types of companies are actually performing much better financially. And so we're finding that uh, there's a huge now trend now that these metrics are out there proving, kind of validating from a profit and revenue standpoint, uh, more and more companies are following suit. So the Patagonias of the world, the Whole Foods of the world. And an additional uh, kind of wave behind this movement is the fact that we have millennials now coming up. A millennial group, people born between 1980 and 2002, I believe, uh, are 20 million greater than the baby boomer group. Sure. Significant. And in 2017, that'll be the point in time that they will uh, surpass boomers as far as their purchasing power. Hmm. So millennials, this segment of the population, uh, they are into purpose-led companies. They are making choices to buy products that have you know, a, a mission or a purpose that they're aligned with. They want to go to work for companies that have something more than just a, a bottom-line profit orientation. And so this huge slug of our you know, demographic in America is really going to also, I believe, push companies more forward uh, in more of these uh, conscious practices, I'll say. Purpose-led companies. Uh, I'm I'm fascinated with that concept, where the purpose isn't just to return shareholder value. What's the purpose then? Every company has their own unique purpose. Uh, Unilever, you know, uh, 220,000 employees, I believe, um, they want to help uh, impact uh, the the global footprint on corporate America. So they want to really take an environmental stance. They're going to uh, 50% all of their uh, uh, use of raw materials and uh, you know, fossil fuel dependency and carbon emissions that they're making. So their purpose is to show that there's products out there. They make Dove soap and a lot of other things. You can do good, you can help the planet, and you can be profitable. Uh, you know, Other companies out there are helping on the supply chain. They're making sure that they're not involved in any uh, child labor practices or you know anything like that. So it really depends on what the company's purpose. Deckers here in town, um, they're doing a lot of wonderful things, making sure that their supply chain is green and that their uh, way in which they build their teams here in the corporate campus in Goleta uh, are you know caring for their employees and team members in different ways. So every company has its own purpose, but it has to be something beyond profit. So to the person who represents a little more than 55% of the 805 today, they're one, two, or three people. They're small companies. Mm -hmm. We've got a lot of small companies. How do they, I mean, they're struggling to get that product to market or get it out of R&D or, you know, make payroll. When you have so many of these business pressures, how does thinking about that purpose-led company help them deal with those kinds of pressures. Oh, absolutely. And, and we've dealt with a lot of small business owners. And, and hats off, because I've been one myself, and I know what that, that roller coaster ride is like. Uh, I would say it helps tremendously because it gives them empowerment that this is something beyond just their one, two, or three-person operation. Like They're part of a movement. They're part of a tribe of other companies that are out to make a difference in the world or for society. It allows them to tap into an extremely strong community of supporters who will share that same why. 
Uh, so, you know, the Simon Sinek talk, it's all about the why. I mean, when, yep, when sure, you sure. Um, tap into a greater why, you're going to develop a, a, a tremendous uh, connection pool from which to uh, lean on. Uh, I would say that it also helps them attract talent because, again, the millennials are going to want to be part. You, okay, yes, they're small, and maybe there's not a lot of financial security, but, God, I believe in that founder's, you know, why. And I'm, I'm going to go to go to war with him because I believe in what they're doing. Okay, so let's stay there for a second. So the millennial, uh, they're digital natives. They're not digital immigrants like like me. Uh, <laughs> uh, thankfully, I'm holding my own. But they're when they are looking at an open position, right, they're thinking of either coming to this region from out of the area. They're going to go Google that mm-hmm. company, and they'll go to the About page just mm-hmm. to see what they're about. And I think old school would suggest there's mission and vision, is there Simon would suggest that there's you have a why page and when I'm listening to you now about purpose should it be you know why we exist or our purpose or how have you seen that articulated in a way that makes sense to a, a millennial or anybody mm-hmm. coming to work for that company well the why sh- should be infused in everything it should be part of the mission part of the vision it should be part of how the company is operated on a daily basis. So the why doesn't necessarily even have to be written out in you know ex- in explicit form. It's it's a it's a manner by which the company operates, and so that will be just it'll be known and you can share it. But a lot of it's energetic. You know, a why mm. is is an energy. If someone gets up in the morning, they have a calling, like they are out there to make a difference because they believe that their incredible coconut water is going to you know, change the world and give people healthier, you know, drinking habits. Um, That's something that is just contagious. And so I would also say that, you know, millennials are skeptics by nature. So they're going to, like you said, go on Google. They're going to go to their peer network. They're going to go on social media. They're going to say, tell me about this company. And there's a lot of different social media ways that you can get different angles on a company. Uh, So they're going to really lean on their peer group. And they say, tell me about ABC company. How do they treat their people? What are they doing in the community? How are they showing up? You know, how are they, uh, you know, out there to make a difference? What's their calling? What's their energetic mission? And so that's what will appeal to any size of business. Could be a one-person operation. If your energetic purpose is strong, you're going to attract customers. You're going to attract team members. And you know something else that I did in the community fast pitch, which we might touch on, but that's that was the key for these executive directors is you have to share your energetic purpose, and then that's how you're going to get people to want to learn more about your nonprofit. So the energy is really really key. I'm not sure when someone might be listening to this, so I know there's a fast pitch deadline coming up soon. But let's talk about the the bigger concept of what fast pitch is. Sure. So fast pitch. Uh, was something that was formed about eight years ago by a group called Social Venture Partners, which I'm a member of. It's an international group. And it had been uh, put together in six or seven other major cities. And I heard about it two years ago, and I thought, this would be perfect for Santa Barbara. And right away, people said, well, Santa Barbara's too small. You know, 100,000, 150,000 people, there's no way you can pull it off. Every other town had had well over a million population to have done it before. Uh, But what it is, I'll share, is essentially it's American Idol meets Shark Tank for the nonprofit community. <laughs> okay, so what we do is we take twenty nonprofits. 
that are below the radar. So these are nonprofits that are not the biggest in town. They're ones that are a little bit below the radar as far as size. And we put their executive directors through a two-month uh, communication coaching workshop where they have uh, professional communication coaches, and then they also have two uh, individual coaches assigned to them to hone a very compelling three-minute pitch about their nonprofit. What is it? Why is it important? And what do you need to go to the next level? And so during those two months, these leaders get a very, very compelling pitch put together. And then we take half of them, they vote, and we take half of them, 10 of them, we put them on stage, and then kind of like a TED Talk, they give their three-minute pitch. Right. We have a panel of judges, and then we also allow for audience text voting. And then oh, we, give really? out, we give out cash prizes. Oh. And so it's truly an accelerator for these nonprofits. They get exposure to, you know, this year there'll be 450 people in attendance uh, at the Deckers Rotunda on October 15th. Uh, so they get exposure for possible volunteers and board members. They get uh, a confidence in how to communicate kind of their purpose sure. of their company. And then they also receive cash prizes. So it's really a fun event. It's a win-win-win. And it's had a continued ripple effect in Santa Barbara since we did it last year in May. Does someone have to be in Santa Barbara to participate? Yes, you have to be in Santa Barbara County. And uh, the deadline will be coming up here to uh, apply. But if you're interested, whenever this podcast goes out, uh, you can go ahead and uh, put in your application for next year because it'll be going on and on because this is truly a proven model that's uh, changed our community already. This idea of being able to communicate your energetic purpose, I think you called it that. Uh, I, I loved that because um, I'm... I, People will say, Mark, I, just, I don't know what you said, but I love your passion. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, and that's, we're drawn to people like that. Thinking, let's talk about communication for a little bit. This is something that we spend a lot of time at 805 Connect talking about. We do a lot of conversations about it. We do workshops on it. I think it's the number one skill. You can be really good at communicating. I want to be a gifted communicator, and mm -hmm. I want to help people be gifted communicators. Until we can inf influence someone to a point of view and get them to move, they're just going to keep going on about their life. And if you really do have an idea worth spreading, you have to be really gifted at communicating it. With that as background, what would you say, let's have two answers, the two solid tips or tricks that you teach during this eight weeks or have a transformational effect on that executive director's ability to communicate. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, first is understanding what comprises communication to a listener. Huh. So communication is 55% nonverbal. It's 30% vocal, you know, how you sound. Do you stutter? How loud your voice is? It's only 7% content. So, you know, when we, typically you write a speech, you spend all the time trying to wordsmith it, but you don't spend that much time really thinking about you know, how you're going to come across physically uh, or you know, vocally. So first, it's just teaching them what, what is communication, what, what comprises the 100% of the message that you're going to give, and a lot of it has nothing to do with content. Okay? Uh, number two is for them to know that less is more and that passion speaks volumes. So a lot of times we have leaders who want to just try to educate their audience on everything they've learned because that shows I'm smart and that shows we're doing a lot of great things, but you lose the listener. So 
find out what are the three to five points that are most compelling about the point you want to make, share it in a story form, and then remember to have fun and be playful with it. Have fun and be playful. Yeah. I like that. So that executive director of a nonprofit who's working on solving a, a really serious challenge in the community, and they're very serious, how do you convince them to be fun and playful? Because I agree with you a thousand percent that will get that message over mm -hmm. better. How do, you, how do you convince them that that's okay? Well, and, and I want to just clarify, it's fun and playful, but it's also okay to be moved and, and sad, you know, it, it's to be emotional. Um, I can give an example from last year. Uh, uh, Mark uh, Tolfson, who's executive director of Fairview Gardens, was one of the presenters. Sure. And he was talking about kind of this epidemic in America where kids don't know where food's coming from. And so he told a story about one of the many tours that goes through the Fairview Gardens uh, program on, you know, off Fairview here in Goleta. And a kid asked, why are, you, why are you pulling that carrot out of the ground? You know, what, why huh. the heck are you pulling that carrot out of the ground? And, you know, it was funny, but it wow. was also kind of tragic. Like, right. kids don't know carrots grow in the ground. And so, uh, you know, you can be playful and still convey the message that needs to be conveyed. I love that showing kids. There was a great TED Talk a couple of years ago, the gorilla gardener uh, in Los Angeles. He said, kids that grow kale will eat kale, which yeah, I love. That's right? great. And Jamie Oliver is on that mission. to. Uh, he's got some great examples where they think, Vegetables are grown in foam containers, right? Right. That you, that you get at Tri County. So, a, a few weeks back, uh, we studied uh, the we call it the explosion of entrepreneurialism in the region. The very interesting thing that's happening in the 805, uh, from north in San Luis Obispo with the Hot House to down in Conejo Valley with the Huddle Campus and what Cal Lutheran's doing here in Santa Barbara. There's the uh, Impact Hub, which is going to be opening this fall on State Street. There's Tech House, which just opened up on Chapala Street across from the new Sonos headquarters. And everything I heard you say about Fast Pitch is what they're talking about with accelerators and incubators, but it's for nonprofits. And that sounds really unique to me. Is, are we the only one who's doing that? I mean, in this region, or there fast, or there this type of thing happening for nonprofits oh, all no. over. Oh no, no. Now we were the eighth city to ever do it. Oh really? So Pittsburgh had done it, Minneapolis had done it, Los Angeles had done it, uh, but again, major cities, and never had a city under a million population done it before. So we've really opened the door for you know hundreds of cities now uh, to to kind of replicate the model because they've seen just the tremendous success that we've had here in Santa Barbara. Now I'll say, being biased, that Santa Barbara's unique because we're a very vested community. You know, I believe people uh, largely come to Santa Barbara on purpose, so they tend to be more vested in the community. So we were able to get just tremendous support uh, for these organizations and for the event in general. I had, I had 80 volunteers that helped wow. put it together. Wow. Uh, but um, it, it can be replicated elsewhere. So I, th I think we're just on the, the tipping point. We're going to start to see this model used for not just nonprofits, but you know, a venture pitch uh, concept sure. has been around a long time. Sure. And it's successful. We had just had Startup Weekend here in Santa Barbara yep. a couple weeks ago. Yep. So let's come back to. Um, this idea of communication and how and transformation. So your business is how old? 15 years. 
And when you started, what did you, how would you communicate? What was the one line of what you were 15 years ago? I'm supposed to remember that. Uh, you know, it was comprehensive financial planning and investment management for high net worth individuals. You wow. know, something like that. Okay. And what is it today? <laughs> and that's just what. You know, we shared what we were going to do. Right. Uh, and, and at the time, it was, okay, but we know we wanted to be independent, conflict-free. We don't have any products at Mission Wealth. We wanted to be comprehensive in how we plan, uh, you know, to make sure we looked at someone's cash flow and their tax picture and their real estate and their investments and their insurance and their estate plans. Uh, but now, those we still do all those things. Those are still the core tenets of Mission Wealth. We are still independent. We do a financial plan for every client every year. We do integrate with their outside attorneys and accountants and bankers. We are proactive in our service, but our tagline is your goals, our mission. So we are here to help people transform their lives. And yes, we happen to be in the world of investments and financial planning to do it, but our purpose is about the transformation. The what we do is different than the why we do it. That's a sizable shift. It's a sizable shift. And we've also realized, by the way, Mark, that we know who we work with best. So we're really clear on who we can best support and when people need a mission wealth support and when they don't. So you know, just as an example, uh, when someone goes through a major life event, they're just thinking about retiring. You know, Can we afford to retire? How much can we sure, spend? Sure. They've just sold a company. Someone's just gone through a divorce. Uh, they just lost a spouse or they just inherited assets. You know, Some big life event has happened that's when they can use Mission Wealth the most because we can go in there from a comprehensive perspective and help them really say, okay, here's the moving parts in your life. Here's the, the, the goals that you and your spouse, if they're in your life, have. And here's how we can put together a realistic plan to make it come true. And so it's during life events when we have you know, questions and we have a lot of sure. moving parts that we know we can come in and add tremendous value. So that's the why we're in business is to really help people transform, especially during these challenging times. And then the what we do is, you know, all these great services that we deliver. So I, what I heard there was ideal client, which is something as business people, we're always striving to figure out who's our ideal client, who's the one that is going to, uh, we're going to be able to help the most uh, right now. And your you know, uh, mission wealth management implies I have some wealth that needs to be managed. So for that millennial who's not at that level yet, I want to kind of try to bring two things together. One is their purpose-led company, but also this idea of um, corporate philanthropy and being involved with nonprofits. So I've got a business, but I also live in a community and I live in a region that, that values nonprofits and what they're doing. So there's the spirit of volunteerism. What would you say to that young millennial about how to make time for those kinds of activities and why they're important? Mm, great question. You do have a gift for communication, so I commend you on that. Uh, I would say, first of all, the big lesson I've learned uh, as being someone who's always been very involved in the community is that they're not separate. You don't have to grow your business and then find time to go be involved in the community. The two are integrated, especially in a town like Santa Barbara or Santa Barbara County, you know, San Luis Obispo, Ventura. Uh, we found that by being extremely involved in the community and showing up as a community leader, 
that only supports your business. That only gives you more exposure, attracts other clients who have who see you in the community, they have a shared why, then you know what, they wanna know the what, and then they wanna become clients or customers of whatever your product or service might be. So my first advice would be just get involved, dive in, make it aligned with your passion, find an organization that speaks to you, and then roll up your sleeves and get involved. It will help your business, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, there's a, a big part of the why for 805 Connect was driven by this idea of connective tissue. And that's what I, like you, I love connecting people. Mm -hmm. That's why someone said, well, it's just a directory of businesses. But, uh, it, it, that's part of it, but it's the people behind the business. Let's not act like we're a big city. Let's revel in the fact that we're a region of 21 small communities knit together by the 101 and let's let's go and know and learn about the people that we do business with and start doing more business here uh, with people we'd like to know better so that's that that why that community part so i see even doing the podcast is a bit of a community service as well yes, absolutely. right to help people know uh, what's going on. Yeah, and, and just to touch on that, uh, you know, we've had a number of examples where we've gotten involved with nonprofits, but we've been able to really turn that into uh, a client appreciation event that was such a win-win. So if I could mm. just share a couple examples. Sure. Uh, you know, as a, as a uh, uh, someone who's been involved with the uh, Land Trust for Santa Barbara County for many years, I think almost 14 years, uh, I put together an event at their Royal Hondo Preserve, which is on the Gaviota Coast. It's a 700-acre watershed, beautiful, beautiful. property. Yeah. Uh, and I invited five other local businesses to invite 50 clients each to really? go to the Royal Hondo Preserve for a day of music. We had uh, Tom Ball and Kenny Sultan out there. We had plein air painters who were painting wow. uh, the landscape out there. Wow. They then donated the paintings to the land trust, 50% of the proceeds of the paintings to the land trust. The uh, different clients of the different firms got to mingle amongst each other. So we had almost 300 people in a meadow painting, going on docent-led hikes, listening to music, having a great lunch, wine. And so they had a unique experience. Wow. The companies got to mingle with each other. Sure. The nonprofit was a huge beneficiary, and fun could be had for all. So there's ways to integrate with nonprofits that can be a win-win-win to your business and to the community. Uh, as a team, we uh, volunteered to work on a Habitat for Humanity house last year. That oh, was did a you? Great team. Was that fun? It was a great team-building exercise, yes. And we uh, were part of the Santa Barbara Marathon. We had, uh, I think, about 18 members who and spouses who uh, ran all or some of the marathon to support the Gwendolyn, Gwendolyn Strong Foundation uh, two years ago. Um, so we're, we're constantly finding ways to get involved in the community and make it either a team win or making it uh, you know, a, a community win and it obviously supports the business as well. So I would just encourage business owners, get involved and go to those business development folks of those nonprofits and say, what can we do together? Here's what my company is about. Here, here's kind of my reach in the community, my goodwill capital, if you will. How can we put two and two together to make six? So that's kind of giving the gift that they have both as an individual and as a company. Yes, and, and I would just give everyone a kind of a, a thought here when we talk about deploying capital, we always think financial. Think about deploying your intellectual capital, your artistic capital, mm. your goodwill capital. You have a lot of assets. Maybe you don't have a lot in the finance category, but maybe you're leaning on these other assets. How can you use those 
How can you monetize those? How can you leverage those to make a difference, you know, in your life, in your in your company's growth, and in the community? Seth, I think you just wrapped it all up perfectly, and I want to end on that note because that is very inspiring. Where can people learn more about Mission Wealth? They can go to missionwealth.com, and we'd be happy to have a conversation with anyone to see how we could support them. That's pretty simple, and I believe you have some writings. I mean, if someone wants to, we're fascinating people, you'll want to know better, so we would encourage people to go learn more. I believe you've got, you, you write a lot, so a lot of this is written if people want to learn more. Sure, happy happy to share. We have a lot of writings. Uh, we can get LinkedIn. We can connect in various ways. I, I love making connections. Again, it's, it's, it's one of my big whys in life, so I'm happy to meet anyone who this uh, conversation has connected with. Oh, fantastic. Seth, well, thank you very much. I want to thank you so much for being a part of this 805 conversation. And uh, I want to thank Patrick at Pullstring for helping us create and distribute these 805 conversations and Bose, who have generously provided these amazing headphones. I didn't even feel like you were wearing them. And so we have a, a great conversation. And I also want to thank uh, a local company, Cielo24. Uh, they've uh, developed a technology and a workflow that will take this podcast and turn it into searchable captions so people can read along uh, while they're listening or if they find some interesting bits, they can go back and research and, and turn this into a little bit of learning. Well, until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations. 